Hello, welcome to Horror Court Trash Over, the show that discusses all the masterpieces and trash the pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. And we're back to Original Versus Remake again, and this time you're here for a very special Halloween episode. Ooh, spooky. And, uh, yeah, I don't know why we haven't done this one for Halloween before. It's kind of an obvious choice, really. Um, I can't remember what we did in the past, but, you know. Uh, whatever happened to Baby Jane. They're all great choices. Yeah, yeah, sure they were. Yeah. Uh, Little Shop of Horrors, I remember doing that one. Oh, Halloween. yeah. That's great for Halloween. It is. Uh, but today we're talking about two films set on Halloween. Right, yes. And uh, we are discussing both versions of Night of the Demons. Mm-hmm. Uh, starting, of course, as always, with the poll results. And this month, none of you voted for the remake. You all voted for the original. And you know what? Completely understandable. It was a landslide, and justifiably. Yeah. Yes. I think the overall result of this episode might be something similar. Yes. Uh, anything to say about these films before we... Um, I mean, I was always aware of the original. I had absolutely no idea that the remake existed until you must have mentioned it once, or, or whatever. I have absolutely no idea. Um, but I was always aware of the original. I assumed it was very 80s, and yeah, I just never got around to watching it. We did watch it. Um, I don't know how long ago, a fair, fair bit of time ago. And I thought it was all right. Yeah, and yeah, it was all right. And then we've rewatched it, and you'll find out what I think of it. But my opinion has changed. Yeah, I mean, I watched uh, the remake first. Mm-hmm. Funny story. I attempted to watch the original, but then I kind of stopped, like a, a little bit away through, and. Kind of slipped my mind, and then I watched the Fun House, and I thought I'd watched the same film. I see because of the similarities of how they both start and the pervy brother. Yes. Um. Turns out no, I didn't. I didn't watch Night of the Demons. Uh. Until like you said, when we watched it recently, mm. and uh, yeah, got, got some thoughts. Got some thoughts. And then just to put it out there, I know I used to have, uh, as you'll know from previous episodes, my taste used to be a little questionable. Uh. I. I did not like the remake when I first watched it. <laughs> That's how bad it is. <laughs> it um, must have been shit if past Gary uh, gave yeah. it low yeah. rating. Uh, but first up, we have Night of the Demons from 1988, directed by Kevin S. Tenney, who did Witchboard, Witch Trap, Witchboard The Return, Peacemaker, TikTok, The Cellar, Pinocchio's Revenge, Endangered Species, and more. Witchboard? Which board, the which board that we watched in York? Which board? Oh, that board. That board. Yeah. yeah. That board. I was bored, actually. I... Hey, it might be a uh, it might be a thing with this director. You it might rewatch it for the podcast it and enjoy could it. Be. You know, yeah, it's... maybe that's what we have to do with his films. Um, it's written by Joe Augustine, um, who did Night of the Demons 2, Night Angel, Exit... And the earliest screenplay for the Night of the Demons remake. According to Joe Augustine. um, But I mean, who knows? The earliest screenplay may have been better. It could have. Yes. According to the writer, the original script contained a gay couple and an interracial kiss. But it was deemed too radical by some of the producers as well as the director. For 2009. 
No, 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 from 1988. We're talking about the original. Oh, yeah, why am I being... Oh, I thought you were talking about the original script for the remake. He did do that, yeah, but this is for the original. That's what I thought. Yeah. Excuse me. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. This writer, he fucking worked hard on this film. He he came to work. Yeah. Because this has uh, one of the best scripts of the 80s. He thought, Yeah, they thought it was radical and... and... We'll obviously get into it, but it, I think it's quite forward in in some senses, you know, from what you were saying. The, 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 like the, no film, gay in, the, the film in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The film in yeah. general. Yeah, and the dialogue is hilariously campy, 80s, yeah. quotable. Yeah, horror. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, an earlier draft of the script had a priest blessing the audience at the start of the film. That would have been cool. That would have been cool. Yeah. Nice little gimmick. Little William Castle style gimmick. Yeah. Yeah. That's true, actually. What I would have loved um, if there was like, you know, like a straight jacket. Yeah. With all the Joan Crawfords dressed up. Uh-huh. the Angela's in oh, the... Yeah. Brides outfits all running around the theatre. That would have been good. I mean, they probably were anyway, because I'm pretty sure Angela is the face of 80s fashion. Yeah. In a wedding dress, though. Well. <laughs> I don't think the 80s was, was this a weird the... time, but I don't think they went around the cinemas in wedding dresses. Was this, this was after um, Like a Virgin? And like a prayer, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because well, Angela for like a prayer. Oh, okay, that's after, interesting. After like a virgin, that's interesting because I was gonna say Angela's outfit in this film was kind of like a mix between the like a prayer outfit and the like a virgin outfit, just thrown together. Okay. Do you not think? Not like a prayer. No. No. Are you talking Frozen? Maybe. Maybe. Where she's wearing the big black dress. This is Madonna. Yeah, like a yeah. Pr- yeah, like a prayer. No, she was, um, I think she was smart casual, oh. in like a prayer. Well, don't uh, don't judge me for misremembering. But like not. like a virgin when she's in the wedding dress. Yeah, and it's the MTV Movie Awards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I absolutely get it. Yeah, um, budget one point two million dollars, and it only made three point one million dollars at the box office. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, I mean, that was. An outrageously large amount for a limited release yeah. at the time. Um, it debuted in Detroit and it hit New York City at Thanksgiving, holding screens until the end of the year. And a fact that I have not told you before now, because I want your reaction to be raw on the podcast. I want it to be oh, real no. in the moment. Okay. A fact that is going to blow your mind. Oh, wow. Okay. And make you love this film even more. Rue McClanahan, as in... Blanche on the Golden Girls. Yes. Just in case you didn't know. Um, (laughs) Is the choreographer, Amelia Kincaid's aunt, and paid a visit to the fucking set. Oh. Blanche on the Golden Girls was on the set of Night of the Demons. Now, I think this is the most 80s film ever made. And honestly, that fact just adds to it. Yeah. um, I think it's a real shame that they got... Priest to bless the film at the beginning and didn't get Rue McClanahan to do the blessing. Rue McClanahan as a priest. I'd have loved to have seen that. Um, but yeah, she was on set. She was. And I feel I feel that energy yeah. from the film. I feel like there was a golden girl on set 
yeah. Now that you mention it, yeah, I feel it. <laughs> uh, so shall we get into our first feature presentation? This place was once a funeral parlor, wasn't it? What was that? We're gonna get out of here. Night of the Demons. Where you going? The party's just begun. Radar. Yes, Night of the Demons, 1988. We get some really cool opening animation title sequence. With some very 80s synth horror soundtrack. Banging. You know what you're getting from the game. Yeah. Um... Teenage outcast Angela Franklin and her best friend Suzanne are throwing a party at Hall House, a mortuary abandoned due to its gruesome past and rumoured to be cursed by evil spirits. I'm, I'm going to read this like Linnea Quigley. Is that okay? Yeah. I, I might, I might, you know, it I might mean, come to an end pretty yeah. quickly. On the way there, Stooge, Helen and Roger drive past an elderly man who is carrying apples and razor blades. When Stooge taunts him by showing his pumpkin underwear out of the passenger window, the uh, old man is absolutely fuming. He is. Hey, Grandpa, look in the mirror. He's like, you fucking bastards, you damn kids. Um, You you mentioned Linnea Quigley. Yes. Um... She gained notoriety for a portrayal of, obviously, Trash in Return of the Living Dead. Uh-huh. And has to come in for an audition by the filmmakers who were fans of that film. She initially rejected the offer to audition, believing that she was way too old to convincingly portray a teenager. Her agent insisted that she go in, and after a few more requests, she did audition, and they cast her on the spot. And I'm glad they did, because this is my favourite one here, quickly. It, absolutely. And is she cast for a teenager? Yeah. Yeah. Amelia Kincaid plays Angela. And she said the reason she wanted the part was because all the other girls were running around naked getting killed. And she was the only character who got to keep her clothes on and kill everyone else. Ah. She said, given the choice between screaming and being chased by a female demon or being the female demon, I thought it was fun. Nice. She reminds me of someone. I don't know if it's the hair, but she definitely reminds me of someone in this film. Yeah. Um, I'm sure it will come to me, but probably after... We've recorded, so... Madonna in The Luck of Virgin. Okay. <laughs> Maybe. So, good girl Judy Cassidy tries to help the man, but he's not too receptive. So, I don't need your help, you damn whore. <laughs> this man's horrible. So, obviously, he has apples and razor blades, and it's that old urban legend of people hiding... Yeah razor blades and apples and giving them to kids trick-or-treating and they bite into them Mm. and they cut their mouths and what's interesting about that is and the fact that the film starts with this is that it kind of feels and the fact that it spoiler alert it ends with this it kind of feels like the wraparound to an anthology yeah which is strange because it's not an anthology film no it works yeah, this especially with the Halloween vibes of the film uh-huh. as well. You know, it really, really works. And it's a very eighties thing. I find anthologies in this wraparound. I find them to be very, very eighties. Yeah. Um, and this is an incredibly eighties film. So, the elderly man curses at them and says that they'll get what they deserve. And um, we find out that Judy is invited to the party by her boyfriend Jay Jansen. He's a very typical 80s yuppie jock type. 
Uh, Judy is a little reluctant to go to the party as she thinks Angela is weird. And there was a school dance schedule that evening anyway. And then ended up not going to the school dance when she wanted to go to the school dance. After her call with Jay, um, Judy is scared by her highly inappropriate younger brother, Billy, as she's getting changed. He says, wow, bodacious boobies, sis. You keep on going, you'll have to hire someone just to tie your shoes. <laughs> and this is the scene where you got a little confused with, with the, the fun, fun house. house. Because this is exactly like the fun house. What was it with that time and weird little brothers perving on their sisters? Yeah. It also happens in Alves as well, which isn't too far removed from this. So I I don't know, is this something that happened in the 80s? And it's like, incredibly it's, creepy. Where did this big joke come from? Like, I don't know. Some writers had unresolved issues. And yeah. I, I hope that they went to a therapist and, and dealt with. He also looks far too old to be pranking his sister and commenting on stuff like that. It's a weird one. In so many of these 80s films, the age gaps seem huge between them, but he definitely seems... Too old to be so immature. So we're introduced to Angela and Suzanne as they're shoplifting the booze for that evening's festivities. Suzanne acts as a distraction, bent over in a rather short dress, (laughs) and Angela is dressed in a black wedding dress. Obviously dyed. Both... They're serving. I'm not sure what they're serving. They are really serving. They They are serving. Um... Yeah, is again very eighties. You're gonna hear me say this a lot. Very eighties. Yes, yeah. very eighties. Suzanne goes up to the store clerks, and she says, "Do you guys have sour balls?" They say, "Why? Sure, we do." She says, "Too bad. I bet you don't get many blowjobs." Ah, <laughs> 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 love a good pun. I honestly. She's iconic. Lynnea Quigley is iconic in this film. Yeah. Her line delivery is just... It's perfect. It's actual perfect casting. Um, Suzanne's looking at herself in the mirror, and Angela shouts, uh, Come on, your face looks fine. I have never seen anyone spend so much time in a mirror. Suzanne says, <laughs> Relax, I just want to look good for the boys. You did remember to invite some cute boys to the party, I hope. And Angela says, Of course I did. And we're going to scare the shit out of them. (laughs) Absolute queens. From the Uh get-go. Judy and Jay pick up their friends, Max and Franny. Before that, I I have some dialogue here. Some Mm. more highlights from uh, Judy's brother. Um, When Jay goes to the house to get some... uh, To to pick her up. And Judy's mum's offering him some of her... Whatever the fuck she's cooked. I mean, I I don't know what it is. And... um, Jay's reluctant to take some, and her, and Judy's brother's like, "Why would he want one, Mum? They look like sun-dried poodle turds." Oh, yeah. And she seems genuinely upset she does. by that as well. And then he's like, when he sees uh, Judy's, like, "Well, that's the best bride of Frankenstein I've seen yet." And then she asks uh, Jay what he's kind of says, like, "He's already in his costume. Can't he tell he's the boogeyman?" So, like, oh my god, the library is open. The library is open. Guy's a weirdo. <laughs> And I'm pretty sure he made his mum cry by dissing her uh, chocolates. Um, so Judy and Jay, they pick up their friends, Max and Franny, for the party. And they pass Stooge, Helen and Roger on the way. Uh, our bickering trio have a flat tyre, but Jay doesn't stop the car to help. 
<laughs> do you need a hand? And then proceeds to give them a round of applause. <laughs> there we are. Judy's ex-boyfriend, Sal Romero, turns up and invited to the party, scaring Jay in the process. Sal had learned of the location after calling for Judy earlier and bribing her brother to tell him the location of the party. Um, did you find the brother annoying? Did you kind of hope that he would maybe I was hoping he'd get sneak a... into the house yeah. and get a death scene? I thought maybe he might have gotten those apples. I thought, yeah, one of the apples or like Boogeyman. Yeah. <laughs> when he gets squished in the window. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> maybe the kids look similar, but... Um, they start the party by dancing in a very 80s fashion. But sadly, the radio dies out. But they're dancing to Computer Date by Dennis Michael Tenney and Fanger. Uh, it is. It is. I love the songs in this film. Angela then holds a seance as a party game. But Helen screams when she sees a demon in the mirror, foreshadowing her demise. And the mirror falls to the ground in pieces. Stooge shouts... Festering fuckwads, you cannot take this bitch anywhere, man. <laughs> and uh, we, Stooge is a grade A misogynist pig. He is. He even has the snout as part of his costume. And this is what I love about this film. Yeah. Because I actually think that's very deliberate. Yeah. Well, you definitely. know, we're not meant to like Stooge. He's mm-hmm. a dickhead. He is. He's a misogynist. He treats women like shit. And he has a fucking snout throughout yeah. the whole yeah. film. Like, come on. Yeah. And during the um, seance, I think it's him that's messing around when uh, Angela's like, concentrating. It's like, I'm trying to, Angela, but I can't get past that zit on your chin. <laughs> and she's like, shut the fuck up, asshole. If you're not going to take it seriously, get out. And she is just fucking owning that room. She is. Um, just for the just for the record, she does not have a zit no. on her face. <laughs> I mean... We weren't watching it in 4K, but I couldn't see it yet. No. <laughs> uh, the group suddenly hear thuds below them, and the demon freezes itself from the crematorium, uh, crematorium it was sealed in to possess a distracted Suzanne. Um, Angela says uh, during all this, Would you listen to me? These are not ghosts. This house is not haunted. It's possessed. <laughs> Stooge says, Come on it. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why he says that, but uh, come on, it who gives a shit? <laughs> Suzanne uh, tells uh, Angela off. She's uh, like, chill out, hun, because like, there's a, a whole thing about Roger and Helen wanting to leave, and she's like, chill out, hun. It's your party, and you're not going anywhere. And just hearing Linnea quickly say, hun. Yeah, it's weird to see, it's weird to see her say hun <laughs> when there's such a hun culture here. Um, yeah, so Helen and Roger, they are creeped out and they decide to leave. And, uh, yeah, Suzanne begins to become the first demon bitch that she was always meant to she be. She is. She's in, she's in the mood for pork as well. <laughs> the group separates around the house in classic slasher film fashion. And the possessed Suzanne forcefully kisses Angela for the demon to manifest in her too. Suzanne also invites Stooge to join her in the bathroom, rejecting Sal's advances in the process. And she says, yes. Um, because he is a pig, but also um, Stooge is played by a, a larger man. Yeah. So, yeah. It is you, a, can't, you can't win them all. It's, um, yeah, I mean... She does, she does say, I, I fancy a bit of pig. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to lie. Again, you know, we don't condone fat shaming on this uh, podcast, but having Stooge as a fat pig, followed by, well, maybe I'm in the mood for pork tonight, was a bit slow. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, let's let's keep it misogynistic, pig. Keep it at that. <laughs> so Roger and Helen find no exit outside, but as Helen disappears and the demons call out Roger's name, he locks himself in the car. When Judy discovers that Jay only invited her to have sex, he abandons her in a room only for her to be apparently locked in. He insinuates that Judy must be experienced as she went out with Sal that one time. And uh, for some reason, this is the moment that I personally clocked what Judy's costume was meant to be. Did you get it? Uh, Alice in Wonderland? Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it took me ages. Yeah. She's been in the whole film up to this point and I had absolutely <laughs> no idea what she was meant to be. I thought she was wearing an apron for like half of it. But that's just a little personal note for you. Stooge gets locked out of the bathroom and Suzanne's face transforms. She smashes a mirror before disappearing. Uh, Stooge says, I, I, I hate him, but he's, he's quite quotable. He's a bit like Freddy Krueger. Loves calling people bitch. It's true. Uh, Stooge says, damn it, bitch. Come on. What do you do? Flush yourself down the fucking toilet or what? <laughs> a confused Sal watches Angela seductively dancing in front of the fireplace to Stigmata Marta by Bauhaus. Hi. Camp. This came about as a result of Amelia Kincaid's background as professional dancer. Mm. Um, when the scene became an instant fan favourite, the producers later put a similar scene in Night of the Demons 2 and Demon House, which is Night of the Demons 3, um, where she returns to do the choreography for all three dancers. And honestly, this original one, one of the biggest slayers of the 80s. It is. I mean, it's just, I iconic she absolutely nails it like yeah it's i just there's not enough words for it to describe how slayed i was it's an 80s slay so it's it's pretty high on the cheeseometer yeah but obviously and that's what i live for that yeah that's, that's like when she starts spinning and a dress comes up and oh my god it's just perfection <laughs> so we say that, but Sal doesn't appreciate a sleigh when he sees he's one. definitely not gay. And he leaves. Stooge takes his place, though, and he begins to slow dance with Angela. But when they kiss, she possesses him as she bites off his tongue. Meanwhile, Jay wanders off to find Suzanne in a bathroom with her breasts out and distorted lipstick all over her face and nipple. Um, this is right after Suzanne has pushed her tube of lipstick into her breast through her nipple. Yes. As in, it actually goes in. Actually goes in. <laughs> Interesting fact, Linnea Quigley first met special effects artist Steve Johnson when he was moulding her breasts for this scene. They went on to be married between 1990 and 1992. Oh, good for them. So, yeah. <laughs> romantic story. <laughs> Honestly, this is, again... Iconic. iconic. Absolutely iconic and such a sleigh. I, I don't even know why. I don't know why it's a sleigh pushing a lipstick into your nipple. It's like I don't know why Debbie Harry putting a cigarette out on a tit in video drums is a sleigh. It just is. It's just gives me everything that I want from 80s camp. And this is, you've had two scenes now. You've had this lipstick scene. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you've had, what have we had previously? The dance. The dance and all that. You've you've had these scenes that really stick out. Yeah. 
And this is essentially, you know, it's not breaking too much new ground no. in terms of horror. You know, it's a horror film. The demons, people are getting possessed in mm-hmm. a house during a Halloween party. But this is what you have to have. So you're not a throwaway, slashery type of film. Yeah. You have to have these iconic scenes and these things that stick in people's brains where they, you know... They can go to a friend and say, oh, my God, I saw this crazy film, horror film. She pushed a lipstick into her nipple. Mm -hmm. Is there rhyme or reason for it? Not necessarily. No. But it sticks with you and you're like, oh, wow, I want to see that. That sounds crazy. Yeah. And for her part, Linnea Quigley sells it so well. Yeah. And she sells the whole, there's a sincerity to her in her performances in the wackiest horror films, everything we've seen her in, she has been the best part of, Mm -hmm. uh, in my opinion, for for a lot of it, because she commits to it. Yeah. And she knows it's weird, wacky and silly and cheesy. And she loves it. Yeah. And you can see it. You can see it in her performance. Yeah. And she's an absolute queen. She's very high on a list of actresses I'd like to meet. Yeah, definitely. So while Suzanne and Jay are having sex, she reveals her inner demonic appearance to him and then gouges out his eyes. The possessed stooge finds Max and Franny having sex in a coffin and murders them both. He breaks Franny's neck and squishes Max with the coffin lid. Yeah, and it's great to see this in 1988, considering this is the uh, year of Friday the 13th, the new blood being absolutely butchered by the MPAA. Mm-hmm. This gets away with so much more. Um, and I think being a small indie film helps with that and a lot. almost a comedy. And almost a comedy, It yeah. is so over the yeah. top that it, it's comedic. It is listed as a comedy. Um, yeah. And I think that's another reason they got away with it. But yeah, it's, it's great to see that this didn't suffer mm. at the hands of the MPAA because, I mean... You know, the gore in this film is an integral part of why it's so great. Yeah, and it's something that we spoke about during the Friday the 13th Part 7 episode. Is I feel with a lot with the MPAA, they target bigger films. Mm -hmm. So the Friday the 13th franchise was making big bucks by your Part 7. Yeah. Night of the Demons, you know, wasn't anything. (laughs) It was a tiny little budget film. Yeah. So um, as Sal becomes horrified when he sees Angela putting her hands in the fire, Roger, who had fallen asleep, is awoken by Helen's body crashing on the car. Um, poor Helen barely knew her. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Although uh, Franny, we barely knew Franny, actually, to be fair. <laughs> Sal and Roger manage to free Judy, but are split up when the now openly demonic Angela chases after them. And I love the demonic makeup. Yeah. Especially on Angela. It looks great. Again, it's an image that really sticks out Mm -hmm. from the film. Hiding from Angela, Sal and Judy discover Suzanne with Jay's body before Sal is thrown out of a window. Suzanne says, I'm sure if we tried, we can get... (laughs) (laughs) I had the exact quote. Please. Hey, how about an orgy? I'm sure if we try... We can get Jay hard again. Yeah. <laughs> While sitting there with Jay's corpse it in her does. arms. It is 
So iconic. And she then says, uh, as Judy's running away, run, Judy, run. See, Judy, run. And again, Linnea quickly commits. Yeah. Judy escapes and she evades the demons throughout the house. When she attempts to climb down and Angela tries to kill her, Sal appears to fight her off and they both fall off the roof with Sal impaled on a spike. Very EastEnders. Yeah, it EastEnders. <laughs> the Branning sisters. <laughs> um, I'm going to be honest with you. I found Judy to be rather annoying she during is. this scene. She is. She was acting a wimp whilst hanging off the roof and her voice kind of got on my nerves. Um, yes, I know if I was hanging off a roof, I'd probably be the same, but, you know, but I'm, she, not, I'm not, and it's a bit I was, annoying. <laughs> uh, so I was surprised she actually redeems herself. Yeah, yeah. Judy and Roger are chased by the demons, and they lock themselves in the crematorium, where they discover the truth of the demonic force. Um, essentially, what they figure out is that they need to survive the night. You know, once daylight hits, the demons will be gone. Uh-huh. So just as Angela and Stooge break down the door, Judy uses a pipe funneling gas and ignites it to torch them, which drives them away. So this is where she's going Ellen Ripley yeah. on it. And I'm like, okay, you've redeemed yourself now. Okay. You, you've, um, you've redeemed yourself. You're a strong, independent. They escape upstairs and are cornered by demons, including a burnt Angela and Stooge, and the demon-possessed undead bodies of Suzanne, Jay, Max, Franny, Helen, and Sal. Uh, Judy is startled by Jay, now without his eyes, and demon Angela says, What's the matter, Judy? Don't like your blind date? Um, The, the doors that Freddy Krueger opened in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Incredible. Yeah. Roger smashes through a window that leads them outside and they begin to climb up a wall by grabbing on the barbed wire around it but the demons try to drag down Judy by her ankles Roger successfully pulls Judy up and they escape over the wall as the sun rises to destroy the possessed corpses and banish the demons back to hell Um, what we haven't mentioned before but it's incredibly refreshing in 1988 is that Roger is a, a black man and he survives the whole film and Absolutely. he is the hero of the film. And I think obviously it's called Night of the Demons. So there's going to be that um, Night of the Living Dead mm-hmm. sort of, what's the word I'm looking for? Oh, Influence yeah. there. Yeah. Um, but so refreshing. And what you said earlier about wanting the gay couple and then having the interracial kiss, mm-hmm. um, it does feel very deliberate. Yeah. And this is a perfect opportunity to mention a bugbear of mine. There's a meme that's been going around on the internet for a few years now, where it's like, um, we must celebrate that in 1999, Alal Cool J in Deep Blue Sea became the first ever black character to survive an entire horror film. Who the fuck created this? And why are people still sharing this? Have you not seen a single film before 1999? Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. You know, Dawn of the Dead. Nightmare on Elm Street 5. Night of the Demons. Like, I mean, I assume it was someone who only watches mainstream horror films who created that. But it just pisses me off so much that all these other films where black characters survive, they're just not getting the credit. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, 
I agree. You know, but hopefully it's a, a way of educating people. But still, it was it was kind of unheard of yeah. to have, you know, how many mm-hmm. of these films yep. have we seen, these 80s films where either, number one, there are no black characters, yeah. or number two, the black character dies first. Yeah, absolutely. So it's so refreshing to have that. And to have him as the hero. He's the hero. He saves mm-hmm. Judy on numerous occasions. He's more likable than Judy, let's be honest, yeah. uh, a lot of the time through the film. And I, I think that's really cool. And it for me, it feels very deliberate. Yeah, I, I don't know definitely. that for a fact, but I feel it with the Night of the Living Dead reference, homage, whatever you call it. It feels very deliberate. Yeah. And I like that. Um, So a severely shaken Judy and Roger walk home together and they pass by the elderly man from the beginning who watches them with contempt. He says, trash, been out all night. (laughs) (laughs) The old man then enters his home to eat one of his wife's homemade pies for breakfast only to realise too late that she's used the apples that he placed the razor blades in, which he intended to use on trick-or-treaters. The blades graphically slice through his throat, killing him. His wife then casually approaches his dead body to kiss his head, saying, Happy Halloween, dear. Um, oh, God, God, I love that ending. Yeah. I love It's so stupid. I love it. Yeah. And the practical effects are amazing. They look great. It's actually really quite gruesome. Yeah. But again, they get away with it because it's comedy. It's yeah. played for laughs. Yeah. This old man getting his comeuppance in the mm-hmm. end and his wife like, yeah, I've been waiting to get rid of him for ages. Um, and that's it. That's that's Night of the Demons, 1988. I think very incredibly 80s, incredible dialogue, fun kills, perfect for Halloween. Yeah. Really just perfect for Halloween. I When we first watched it, I gave it 6 out of 10. Yeah. And I remember us both talking about it afterwards mm-hmm. and saying, that was all right, that was. Yeah. That was okay. You know, wasn't 100% sure what all the fuss was about. It was like, it's a good slasher, that was. Yeah. And then we watched it this time, we were like, we're, we're having a bad day. Yeah. It's, maybe, honestly... maybe we're having a bad day and just... It's not often that uh, watching a film for the podcast makes you like a film more, but um, this is definitely one of those occasions. I think analysing it and realising um, just how great that script is and everything that goes on here and Linnea Quigley's performance. And, you know, I definitely appreciate that way more whilst watching it, fully concentrating and uh, taking notes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if there's a science behind it, but that's what happens. <laughs> The same thing can't be said for <laughs> Night of the Demons from 2009, hmm. which is written and directed by Adam Gurash, uh, who did Fractured, Tales of Halloween, Autopsy, Fertile Ground, House by the Lake, and Spaghetti, and co-written by Jace Anderson, who wrote Spiders, Crocodile 1 and 2, Panic, Derailed, Killer Rats, Toolbox Murders Remake, Mortuary, Mother of Tears, and more. Wait, Argento? Argento's Mother of Tears. Oh, what? Mm. Yeah. Did we do that? No. No. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, Toolbox Murders remake's great. She worked with Toby Hooper a fair bit, mm-hmm. and 
I would not have known this film was co-written by a woman unless I was told. <laughs> Let's just say that. Um. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um. Somehow it was made on a budget of ten million dollars. No way. Ten million dollars. The original was made for one point two, and this was made for ten. Did this get a theatrical release? No. No. So it kind of it had okay. a little limited release, which is kind of like obviously the original. Um, but it did not do as well. Um, was that so? It was eligible for the Oscars. Obviously, yeah. obviously, it made sixty four thousand and forty dollars. No, uh, but yeah, it was mostly straight to DVD. Okay, which I mean, this absolutely screams straight. To DVD. It was yeah, it it's, it has that straight to DVD energy definitely. It does. Um, I'm gonna say right now before we get into discussing the film, this, the original film Night of the Demons did not need a remake. And I'll tell you why it didn't need a remake. It's because, yes, it is very much a product of its time, but that's why it's so good. Like, yeah. That's yeah. why it works. Mm-hmm. You know, if it wasn't super 80s and it was played straight, then, you know, it, it probably wouldn't be as enjoyable. But the reason it's so good is because it's like an 80s time capsule and that has so much charm and camp value to it. Um, and if you were to make, as proven by this film, if you were to make Night of the Demons in modern day, it's just going to look like any other horror film. because You're not going to have that same camp charm there. Mm. And this fully proves that. This just plays it straight and a little too straight, shall we say. Um, yeah, it, it's, it loses a lot of the charm of the original. This Definitely. literally just could have been any film, you mm-hmm. know? But yeah, let's talk about our second feature presentation. We're the only things standing between them and the end of the world. That's awesome. We start with a silent movie sequence in 1925 when Evangeline Broussard goes to an evening gathering with her lover, Lewis, who is into black magic. While at a seance, a group of demons are summoned and state that they need seven human sacrifices to rise again. Frightened by this, she prepares to hang herself from her balcony to stop their plans. Lewis attempts to stop her, but she jumps, hanging herself whilst decapitating herself in the process. Lewis stares over the balcony as his eyes become demonic. Mm. Um, I mean, not a bad start. It, uh, you very know, interesting. The gore in this part is great. And when, when practical effects are used here, it's really good. Um, but a lot of the film is taken up with CGI, unfortunately. But it's a good sequence. It, again, it falls into that same old trap we talk about every time we talk about a remake from the 2000s. It has to do a backstory. It has to explain every small detail to the audience. Not like the audience is stupid. And it's very much Rachel Stevens, more, more, more. You know, it's... How do you like that? Well, not very much in this case. Um, Sometimes it works. Hills of Ice. Sometimes it doesn't. This. Um, Again, cool sequence. 
unnecessary. But, you know, at this point, you're kind of willing to forgive it because it's kind of cool and, you you know, you could be into a good film here. Now, let's just say, I don't think this is bottom of the barrel trash. I think it's trash, but I don't think it's bottom of the barrel. There are some things I like here, but it just doesn't hold a torch to the original. Um, Yeah, comparing it to the original, it, it doesn't definitely doesn't work as a throwaway horror film from 2009 yeah 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 you know i'm not i'm not mad at it i'm just disappointed in the present angela failed invites her friend maddie and her friends lily and suzanne to a party angela in this film is played by the icon that is shannon elizabeth yes um and i will say shannon elizabeth best part about this film i feel i don't feel bad for shannon elizabeth because she's a beautiful successful woman but i do feel like she could have had a bigger career than she did yeah and i don't know why she didn't i, I, I don't know of what she's famous for and because we live in a misogynistic society maybe maybe because her claim to fame was american pie the webcam scene yeah where you know obviously her career led her down being typecast and i mean in all fairness jason biggs has also been typecast as well but i i feel like yeah i mean i don't know i'm kind of talking myself into going back on my point now because i think she's actually been more famous than jason biggs no i don't think so she got love actually yeah, she got the. I, I like Shannon got... Elizabeth. I do like her. She was in a James Bond game. As long as <laughs> James Bond game. As long as she doesn't do accents, <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no. I mean, her career—they they do a dirty with her career. She's very much been typecast. Um, yes. And yeah, it's a shame because I feel like she's capable of a lot more. But I think go. she's done a few Hallmark Christmas. Films, so we might have to to watch them. Have a look. Usually, (laughs) Um, kids go trick or treating at Linnea Quigley's house, and the icon is there dressed in a ballerina costume from the original. Um, yeah. Did you think this was highly inappropriate? Oh, it's it's inappropriate. I mean, (laughs) going to the door with uh, her nips bursting out of her top whilst the kids there for trick or treating. Yeah, it's a little inappropriate. And then turning uh, around and bending over to recreate a scene from the to original. recreate her scene from the original, um, like with her knickers and these kids, these two little girls. It's a very weird decision. A very weird decision. Yeah. If if it was like older people, it would like teens. It would make sense. Yeah. But for her to be flashing her knickers in the face of these two kids, it's creepy. Yeah. I just, it, yeah, ugh, it feels icky. It does. Um, but I'm glad we got her back. Yeah. Even if that's what they used her for. Um, Maddie's drug dealing ex-boyfriend Colin goes to a strip club to visit, to visit a British guy called Nigel. Nigel. Of course it's called Nigel. Uh, and Nigel is getting a blowy uh, whilst having an extensive chat with Colin about him fucking up a drugs job that he set him uh, sent him on before. Uh, oh, are you a fucking idiot? Oh, yeah, you're a fucking idiot, uh, Edward Furlong. Because yes, that's who plays Colin, Edward Furlong of Terminator Two: Judgment Day fame. Nigel is maybe getting the worst blowy ever. <laughs> 
he's not responding at all no. to any of it. And he it. can have a full conversation. He's having a full conversation. So, I don't, um, this must be an awful blowy. Yeah, and then she's like, are you, are you done yet? Like, nah, not yet. Nah, not fucking yet. Carry on. Um, yeah, really awkward scene. And speaking of awkward, Edward Furlong, bless him. Um, his performance in this film is, is not good. The performances aren't great. Edward Furlong, he does stick out a lot because his performance isn't great at all. Like, yeah. it's probably the worst, actually, out of everyone, if I'm being honest. And I feel bad for saying that because I think Edward Furlong was still, and, and may still now, be dealing with a lot of issues. Yeah. Um, and it's a real shame because you can see that on mm-hmm. screen and for he, I believe you know um, he had substance abuse yeah. issues yeah, yeah, yeah. and for him to play a drug dealer and look like he's still struggling mm-hmm. I think it, it feels very icky again it, does. it, it does. doesn't feel right watching him perform yeah uh, Nigel's given him one last chance to work for him Maddie, Lily, and Suzanne arrive at Angela's very busy party in slow motion. Um, the DJ's playing the worst music imaginable. Um, we get to see lots of people kissing, dancing in slow motion. Someone's going around on a bike dressed like Billy the Puppet from Saw, because it's 2009. And two girls kissing sexy <gasps> slow motion for Ooh. the male gaze, because it's 2009. And that's just to gaze, confirm, G-A-Z-E. G-A-Z-E. Yes, it's not, not, <laughs> not the male this, gaze. Um, yeah, the queer representation in this film, very much just there for the straight men. Because it's just women. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't... Well, let's, does it even count as queer representation? No, no. If it's that the, weird obsession of 2000s. Aren't queer. <laughs> it's that weird obsession the 2000s had with making women kiss for uh, pretend men on our walk or something weird. Um... I God, I, can't, I, I cannot believe we lived through this time. Um, no wonder all the gays need therapy. Um, Colin arrives at a party and Lily's ex-boyfriend Dex and his friend Jason are also there. Lily and Dex eventually reunite while Suzanne becomes incredibly drunk. They're also there. They are. They are. They're interesting. Uh, another party, a hand bursts through the bathroom mirror for a cheap jump scare and grabs Maddie, at, Maddie after a fake-out mirror jump scare while she's putting her lipstick on. And the others, they think, oh, it's a trick by that Angela. What's she like, that big prankster? This, again, another thing that doesn't work here is the fact that Angela's so popular, she's got all these people in her house. In the original, it's kind of like, okay, Angela's a fucking weirdo. She's hiding out this weird place. That's a bit spooky. Let's go there. That'd be a fun Halloween. But this is like, oh, okay, you're going to a popular girl's popular party. Great. But paying for it. And paying for it, yeah. Paying to get in. What confuses me is I just assumed she was having a Halloween party. Not not for her, Mm -hmm. but so she can get the money. Yeah. Because she needs money for her rent or she'll have nowhere to live. Yeah. So they're collecting cash Mm -hmm. at the door. So I thought that this party was a business venture. Yeah. Um, but then everyone seems to know Angela mm-hmm. and is buddies with Angela and yeah. friends with Angela. I'm not sure of the 
ages either of everyone it's um when looking at the actors imdbs Mm -hmm. they were all around 30 years of age in 2009 yeah so i don't feel like this is meant to be a high school or a college party it's just a party yeah, I don't. I don't know why. How anyone knows each other? No, either. no, it's a little strange. Well, the talk of the the talk of the house makes a big camp entrance. Angela appears at the top of the stairs, lights down, and then she has a leg cocked up on something, and she has a bottle of wine in her hand, and she's like, "Hey, bitches, ready for one hell of a Halloween? Only sick bastards like you would come to a place like this." It's home to everything dark and twisted in the human soul. There's a reason no one has been able to live here in 50 years. She provides all the exposition needed for Evangeline Broussard's story. Uh, The party's taking place in her house. And Angela wants everyone to have sex and dance to pay tribute to her spirit. And as you said, she also wants everyone to go wild because she's got to make money off the party. uh, Or she'll have to live on the streets. Yeah, because she's like... um... I want you to do the stuff that your subconscious has never even thought of doing. Yeah. And why is Colin sneaking in with his drugs then? <laughs> if you want people to go that wild, that they've done, they're going to do stuff that they've never even thought of doing. Mm-hmm. Then uh, why why is he not allowed to sell a few drugs? I mean, yeah, and spoiler alert, yeah, the party doesn't go for much longer. But the people that are there. They're... I mean, they're not really going that wild. They're just all having no. a kiss. Oh, <laughs> no, no, no. One's dressed in a penis costume. It's oh, always, that's wild. It's always a wild that is wild. Um, One thing also. um, It was giving my super sweet 16. Like it was Angela's it was. super... Because she makes the big entrance. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, who invited Colin? Colin's not allowed to my party. <laughs> I wish we would have seen the moment when she was handing out the uh, <laughs> the invitations. You're not allowed one. You're not invited to my super sweet 16. Well, she's got an assistant that did it all for her, hasn't she? Yeah. Uh, yeah. The Kinda. assistant that you never see again. Slash doorman. Yeah. The bouncer. Uh-huh. Eventually, the police officers arrive to break up the party because Angela doesn't have a permit... And it's not classed as a private party because she was charging admission. Mm. Everyone leaves except for Angela, leaving her upset and alone in the house with Colin. Maddie, Lily, Dex and Jason soon return to find Suzanne, who has passed out. I'm surprised they remember she was in the film because I fucking forgot she was in the film. <laughs> um, yeah, let's talk about Lily and Suzanne. Interchangeable. Interchangeable. And yeah. absolutely no idea who is who. From one scene to the other. They're both gorgeous brunette women in cat costumes. Yeah. Um, they're both wearing cat costumes. There's a scene at the beginning where Maddie is like, Oh, why are you wearing sexy cat costumes? And Maddie's like, I'm wearing a proper Halloween costume. Yeah. What the fuck what is, is she, she dressed as? Dressed what as? is she dressed as? She's dressed in like Ripped jeans and a shirt over a crop top. And a bit of fake blood and on her face. Well, I don't, sure, I don't think it's fake blood, hun. <laughs> I think it's, um, like, charcoal or, like, it's meant to be, like, mud or dust or, mm-hmm. like, she's been ran over. I'm, I'm not 100% sure 
what the hell she's dressed as. Yeah. She's like, oh, I take Halloween seriously. You're just dressed in a sexy way. And it's like, um, you've got like ripped jeans and a crop top <laughs> on. You know, I'm not saying she's as sexy as the cat costumes, but you can't have a go at people for showing skin when you're showing skin yourself. I mean, at least they're slaying with it. Yeah. You look like a scarecrow. Yeah. She's also played by Monica Keener. Yes. Um, the actress who who spoke the immortal words, if Freddy died by fire and Jason by water, how do we use this against them? Mm-hmm. Yes. Star and of Freddy versus Jason. I was going to say, if you don't know that quote, then... Oh, no, we haven't done Freddy vs. Jason. We haven't done it yet. No. no. We've got about another four years or so. Get to that. But that whole conversation, I mean, that whole reference was already done in Mean Girls. Mm-hmm. The whole sexy costume yeah. cat thing. Uh-huh. Like, mm. Oh, yeah, this film's just going for every other film. Every, yeah. 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 It's very 2009 in that sense, though. Colin and Angela go into the basement to find the drugs he had hid earlier. They find a hidden door, and Angela remarks that the house is full of hidden rooms, including a tunnel that leads to the next estate over. They enter the room and find six skeletons, whom Angela believes are the remains of the missing party guests of Evangeline Broussard. She gathers everyone to go look at them, but one of them bites her hand as she tries to grab its gold tooth. Colin attempts to leave the house, only to discover that the gate is locked... And, uh, yeah, now now we know shit's going to go down. Everyone plans to wait the night out. Suzanne tells a group of, um, of the story of, uh, the, of the night that led to Evangeline and her friend's deaths. How she knows that, you tell me. It's not, it's not revealed how she knows that. Everyone in this film just gains information immediately without looking for it. It just, they just know things. Yeah, and... Th- this is the problem with this unnecessary backstory is that everyone seems to have to be a expert on it yeah to help progress the film mm-hmm. um, but it's never explained no whereas in the original just it's it's not expected the house is possessed yeah simple. that is it that's all the house it needs has to demons be. yeah that that's it you know and maybe you could think Angela was potentially part of it who knows but it's not bogged down with red herrings or anything like no. it's like shit's going down it's like night of the living dead the original there is no explanation no. for it it's like this shit's happening yeah. you've got to deal with it you know and it's so much better for that because it doesn't take you away from the main narrative of the film no which is people fighting to survive yeah we found out the only person found alive um, in the story was the maid who was found scribbling spells on her walls, having been driven ins- insane by the night's events. Angela slowly succumbs to the skeleton bite and turns into a demon. She returns to the group who are now playing Spin the Bottle, and it's 2009, so you know what's coming. Ooh. Jason encourages Maddie and Suzanne to kiss. Yes. That's dead sexy. Ooh. Jason spins it next, and it lands on Dex. Oh, oh no. my God. He is not happy about kissing a guy. And he's like, you're chicks. Uh, yeah, it's all right for you guys. It's different for, for men. Um, 
Okay. Which is technically true, but only because of films like this. Yeah. And their portrayal. Angela, <laughs> the queen that she is, like, what are you? Homophobic? <laughs> yes, queen. Fucking tell him. Uh, and then they have a quick one second kiss and one of the girls are like, congratulations, you are officially gay. I can confirm. That's how it works. That's exactly how it works. That's how I became gay. Um, especially if both participants in the kiss look like different, <laughs> different Pete Wentz's. That's true. That's true. <laughs> because can we talk about the hair? The hair is very... The hair. Yeah. One of I, I don't know character names. I really switched off with this film, uh, but I don't remember character names. But one of them has when Pete Wentz had like the really gelled, spiky black hair, and yeah. then the other has the longer over the years to the like with the little curl, almost Lisa Rennerish Pete Wentz hair. Yeah, but mo, yes, very emotional so both of them. Um, well. He's not gay for long because he spins the bottle decks and then he lands on Angela and she uh, gives him the demon. She infects him by kissing him. And then he, in turn, infects Lily by fucking her from behind uh, after she's like, oh, well, uh, if you're going to put it in there, then, uh, oh, and then she gets killed. So it's a joke about doing anal sex. Yeah. So 2009. She. Oh. No, I'm not going to think too much into it. It wasn't anal to begin with. And no, then he it wasn't. switched it up. But she wasn't infected until it was anal. Until it was anal, yeah. I hope that isn't what I think it is. Yeah. Yeah, because that's, no, that's not cool. That's no. not cool at all. Uh, meanwhile, Angela is still deciding to slay, even though she's in this god-awful film, uh, Sean Elizabeth. She uh, sucks off a wine bottle and, again, here for it is a slay. It's not intended for me, but I was slayed. Yeah, she didn't go full Kinga. No. Does she? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. And if, if no, you don't get don't, that... Don't Google that. <laughs> Google Kinga Big Brother UK and you'll find out what she did with a wine bottle yeah. on national television. Um, God bless her. I hope, she, I hope uh, Kinga's living a good life. Uh, well... She, uh, yeah, she's staring at Jason while she's sucking off this wine bottle, and uh, this scares him off. Uh, in the original, it was a dance. In this one, it's uh, it's it's sucking off a wine bottle. Whilst Maddie, Jason, and Colin leave to find another exit, Angela decides to slay yet again, and she seduces Suzanne by recreating the iconic dance from the original, this time set to black number one, Little Miss Scare All by Typo Negative. This film soundtrack is fucking dire compared to the original. Um, yeah, she Shan Elizabeth looks great to it. I mean, again, nowhere near as good as the dance in the original, but Shan Elizabeth does a great job of it. She gives it her best shot. Um, they start floating in the air when Angela claws at Susanna's boobs and then rips her face off with her mouth, turning her into a demon. Yeah, it looks all right. Yeah, good practical effects yeah, in this scene. Okay. Yeah. Um, the floating looked a bit CGI though, which did not look good. No, it felt a little unnecessary. But mm. why did they give this film ten million dollars? You know, really don't get it. With remakes, more is more. Yeah. Uh, Jason finds a demonic Lily, asking him to fix her whiskers with lipstick. Now, speaking of more is more, 
He attempts to fix the whiskers on her face, but she corrects him and takes her boobs out. Of course she does. She inserts the lipstick into her tit like the original, but instead of just leaving it there, she starts pulling it out of her vagina, um, which she eventually succeeds in, but not before loads of blood pours out of her and onto the floor. Jason goes to warn the others, and when he does, he says the exact lines of dialogue. She stuck a lipstick in her boob, and it fell out of her pussy, okay? Yeah. I, I understand with a remake, you, you want to build on the original. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a problem. And throughout the 2000s, there were lots of remakes of films that didn't need a remake. Yeah. But by definition, in my mind, a remake should always build on the original to make it better. So I think remakes should only be of films that need a remake that Uh maybe weren't perfect to begin with. Okay, it's just my personal opinion. So... Because they're remaking a film that didn't need remaking, it was perfectly fine mm-hmm. the way it was, they've had to one-up things. Yeah. They've had to go that extra mile. But there's a fine line. And I've, to me, this tips the scale into, that's stupid. Yeah. Uh, why? Why do we have to have it come out of her vagina and then... Loads of blood go everywhere. Like, who is that for? Yeah. The, the, it worked in the original because it made no sense. It yeah. made no sense and it was completely random. And it's like, what the fuck did I just watch? But in this, they just had to overdo it. And then have him come out and say what happened. One of the things that I fucking hate about films around this time is whenever someone happens, like, oh my God, did you see that happen? Well, yeah, of course we did. We're not fucking stupid. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And this character does that a lot. Yeah. This is the character that does that in the film. He does it in the next scene. I mean, they're initially sceptical until a demonic Suzanne attacks them and survives Jason sticking a fire poker through her chest. Something that he then reminds us of. I stuck a fucking fire poker through her chest. We know. We saw it. We know. We were there. The camera's got film in it. It's fine. Um, Suzanne's demon face looks awful. By the way, they've added CGI onto it now and it's just mm. fucking stupid. They decide to escape through the tunnel only to discover it's caved. The group is then attacked by Lily and Dex as Jason is injured when Lily wraps her tit tentacles around his throat. Yes, you heard right. She has tit tentacles. Yeah, tit tentacles. Well, you might as well. Yeah. You know, you've done everything else tit-wise. You might as well fucking tentacles. Again, this film's co-written by a woman. Like, seriously, how was this film co-written by a woman? But it's, it's, it's a weird one. I, because, obviously, it feels... Like it was made for teen boys. Yeah, of course it does. The problem is it's not in an ironic way. No. And you feel like something like Slumber Party Massacre, which was a film made by women, mm-hmm. which does play into some stereotypes. Yeah. But there's an irony to it. Yeah. I think the it's irony satirical. is... It's satirical. But you could mistake it for a film about TNA for teenage boys. Yeah. Whereas I don't feel like this manages to do that. I don't know if it is parody. It could have been. It could have been parody. But it, it it's, it's not. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's not conveyed... So it just feels like a cheapo cash-in remake for a certain market who are like, 
Tit tentacles, yay. Yeah. Oh my god, it came out of her vagina. Oh wow. Mm-hmm. Look at all that blood coming out of her private parts. Way. Yeah. The survivors run upstairs and tend to Jason's injury and realise that... I hope my mother never, ever <laughs> listens to this podcast, ever. It's going to be a pretty fucking random episode for her to listen to if you was, I was she's a huge fan. She's a big fan of Night of the Demons. Um, they uh, realise they're in the maid's room with symbols she drew still on the walls, acting as a ward against the demons. They discover that the demons are thrown out of hell for trying to disturb Satan's rule and need seven human vessels to be free. The demons had tricked Evangeline into hosting the party so they could take over the guests, but failed after she hanged herself as they could not possess corpses. Somehow, Maddie knows all of this beat for beat, like she was there. She's an expert. She's like, Freddy died by fire, Jason... Oh, wait, sorry. Wrong film. Wrong (laughs) Monica Keene film. Um... Angela comes back to talk shit to Maddie about fucking Colin's brains out before killing him. And Maddie's like, shut the fuck up, bitch. And shuts the door in Angela's face. <laughs> Maddie tries so hard to slay in this film. She really tries. She does. But she tries too hard. Yeah. It doesn't include any sincerity whatsoever. It doesn't. It's so cringy. It does. It comes across as cringe. And I... I... I think uh, Monica is it Keena, isn't yeah. it? Keena. I think Monica Keena is a likable actress. I, I think she was likable in Freddy vs. Jason. Interviews I've seen with her, she comes across really well. And I think in, in this instance, it's trying too hard. Yeah. And it's coming across as cringe, yeah. unfortunately. Soon the walls begin pouring with blood and wash the spells away. The trio attempt to redraw the spells but are lured out of the room when the demons fake daylight in the windows. A lot of effort to go to. Like, when were the demons there painting these uh, fake fucking daylight windows and putting them on? I thought they put up a mirror. Or I... Or no, I it, like, it had like... It had like outdoor like, stuff drawn away. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, well. That- Giving Bob Ross. Yeah. Maddie and Colin rush back to the room whilst Jason is caught and disemboweled by Angela coming back to life as a demon. As they plan to wait in the room until sunrise, Colin is attacked by Dex. uh, And then after he's attacked by Dex, he's like, you know, I think that thing wanted to fuck me. Yes, that male demon wanted to fuck you. Hilarious. Uh, He then falls through the floorboards into the basement. Maddie attempts to help him, but he is re- is now revealed to be a demon. She manages to get back to the maid's room and fight the demons off. Before she gets there, she does a little montage getting ready. She's like, come and get me, motherfuckers. And again, he goes, oh, stop, please, just stop. This is so... Any other film, if it was a bit more effortless, I'd be fucking cheering right now. But no, just no. Yeah, stop. Embarrassing yourself. Uh, she makes her way to the balcony where she ties a rope around her neck and jumps over, seemingly hanging herself. <gasps> As the sun rises, the demons are killed. Maddie reveals that she only pretended to hang herself, had a, having tied the rope around her waist, and the demons assumed that she was dead. Um, This is what I don't get. I don't understand. Because, un- unless I missed something... 
we thought she was dead. We thought that she had, yeah. you know, hung herself. Mm-hmm. Was it hanged herself? Hung herself. Hanged herself, yeah. Um, she's wearing a crop top, though. So yeah. I feel like the rope around her waist would have been visible. Uh-huh. But it wasn't, was it? No. For the, you know, to fool us. Yeah. It's a goof, isn't it, then? It's, it's a continuity goof, which annoys me. Right at the end of the film. Yeah. I'm sure there's many more in the film that we've missed. Probably. Um, she's like, demons, huh, not so smart. And again, it's like, please, just just stop. Uh, she's then able to exit through the gates to her freedom. And some uh, some guys are walking like, wow, must have been one hell of a party. And she's like, ah, well, you can certainly say that. So stop, please, stop. Stop with these one-liners, please. This is another case of a film, a horror film, where I have no idea what the survivor is going to tell the police. <laughs> all these people have disappeared. What is she going to tell them about mm-hmm. all these people? And she also really doesn't seem upset at all that her friends are dead. She seemed really upset earlier, was it, when someone was killed or she thought someone had been killed? Yeah. But the her friends turning into demons apparently mean that they deserve to die. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? I just uh-huh. feel like it shouldn't be more upset. Yeah. Uh, after the credits, we get a post-credit scene. Uh, because this was what a year or two after Iron Man. Um Okay, post-credit scenes existed before. Yeah, but I mean this is the post-credits <laughs> boom at this point, wasn't it? Still um, continuing. Yeah, so, of course, you know, post credit scene. And who returns? None other than Nigel. Nigel. Nigel is back, and he's still getting that blowy. And she's like, oh, are you, are you finished yet? And he's like, oh, not yet. I think Nigel... Uh, Great hilarity. Hilarious. I think Nigel needs to see a therapist. And that is Night of the Demons, 2009. Meh. So meh. It's, um, no, it's really shit, actually. And there was going to get a sequel called Night of the Demons After Party. And Anthony Hickox was going to be the director, the recently deceased, um, rest in peace, Anthony Hickox. Oh. And, uh, yeah. Doing the soundtrack was going to be Harry Manfredini. No way. Yeah. For a random sequel to Night of the Demons remake. Could have been something really good. Jesus. Yeah. But yeah, that's the film. I'm glad I didn't get a sequel, even though that might have been good. Um, yeah, no, it's just naff. It really, really it's naff. naff. It just, again, you know, it tries to remake a film. It didn't need remaking. And in turn, you just get a bland, generic 2009 and that's the weirdest thing is that it tries to make it bigger and bolder and, and more, 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 but it ends up making it blander and yeah. more mere and, and yeah. more forgettable. Yeah. So it, it's a weird one where all this stuff is shoved in, mm. but actually the end product is so much less than the original. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, let's get to the awards. Yes. Um, we all know where this is going. Mm-hmm. Um, 
1988, cinematography scares, soundtrack, and kills. 1988, uh, we get that eerie cinematography around the big mansion, sort of gothic style. It's genuinely creepy at times, whilst also massively camp. Of course, we get the over-the-top kills, the amazing practical effects, and all topped off with that top-tier 80 synth score and... Great songs on the soundtrack. Yeah, love the songs on the soundtrack. Um, particularly uh, Bauhaus number that Angela dances yeah. to. Love that kind of music. Um, I thought the cinematography looked great. Yes, very cliched, but that's the point. Yeah, you know, it's meant to look like that. It's again very eighties, but also harkened back to, you know, Universal horror and, and shit like that. Um, scares, I don't think there were meant to be too many scares, because it is more of a comedy. It still has that sort of scary movie vibe to it, though, that, like, popcorn horror, scary movie, late night. Yeah, um, and then the kills, great. Yeah. They look fantastic. It's difficult, though, because, I mean, they don't actually die until the very end. Yeah. But we'll, we'll, you know, being turned into a demon, we'll say... Yeah. Is is the kills and yeah they look fantastic you know really keeps the gore um, that we love in these kind of films and the effects look great yeah two thousand and nine beautiful gowns beautiful gowns um that's it and um, so <laughs> well the the soundtrack when it's not playing those insufferable fucking generic rock songs it's just really. The soundtrack, the score in itself is so generic and just forgettable. It, I, even I didn't notice it. It just bowed to the background. No. But I think it's because those generic rock songs, and some of them are truly awful. Yeah. Really, really bad. Um, because they're so bad, Yeah, that's all you kind of remember from it. Uh-huh. And it'll be a scene, and you're trying to concentrate, and all you can think of is, what is this fucking awful song? Yeah. And I like the... Embarrass myself now, but that new metally heavy metal two uh-huh. thousands. You know, I I kind of listen to that. I listen to typo negative, mm-hmm. all that business. Um, but ooh, where did these come from? Yeah, really bad, really misplaced as well. Yeah, just ugh. the cinematography is just whatever. It's just, it, it literally is just nothing exciting about it at all. No. It's- it's a horror remake from 2009. And I feel like we say that a lot on the podcast. But this doesn't have... To, I don't think it has that look. It doesn't have the music video. I don't think it has industrial. that music video look, which mm. kind of annoyed me because it wasn't even trying to be like that. Nah. I mean, at this in this instance, I'd have rather have seen that. This just wasn't going for anything. It was just generic. It just it just looked like it looked. It, yeah, it, it does It nothing looked very stood cheap. Out. For 10 million, it looked yeah. very... I thought the yeah. film looked very cheap. Um... The practical effects, got no issue with those at all. Um, they're fine. Mm, yeah. CGI is awful and it's not scary. It's all. not. It, it's... It, it's just, it, yeah, it's just not. It's, yeah. I mean, it either is or it isn't. It's not. Yeah. <laughs> Everything uh, in that category, I'm sure you will agree, goes to the original. It certainly does. Onto our characters, we have Angela, who is played by Amelia Kincaid in 1988. And played by Shannon Elizabeth in 2009. 
And do you know what? This is a good start because I have no issue with Shannon Elizabeth's performance. I think she does a good job. Yeah, I, I think she you does. Know, I think she actually watched the original. Um, and, you know, she gets to slay. She gets to slay. She gets to be a bit camp. And it's a shame that she is... And we didn't mention this whilst going through the film. Cut out of a big chunk of the yeah, third act. Yeah, it's true, actually. I mean, yeah. what the fuck's that about? Yeah. It's Angela. Yeah. Whereas in the original, Amelia Kincaid, I think she gets a perfect amount of um, screen time. She's yeah. not too much or not too little. No. And it's the best example of an 80s alternative Slay Queen. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I like the fact that she's a bit of an outsider. Mm. Um. I like the look. I think it works perfectly for the film, for the poster, yeah. for the promotion. I think it's perfect yeah. in that sense. I think it's a great performance. I liked Angela in and out of the, the demon makeup and such. Yeah. And props to Shannon Elizabeth. In the remake, I think she did a good job. Good for you, girly. Good for you, girly. But there just wasn't enough of it. It was just like, okay, I like what I saw, but I could have done with more. Yeah. Why was why was she not more prominent when we all know that Angela's film? Mm-hmm. You know, Angela is in the sequels to the original. This is yeah. Night of the Demons. Angela. Yeah. In you know, put her in a fucking wedding gown for fuck's sake. Yeah. Why why did she also have to wear a sexy Halloween costume? And I'm not even sure what it was. Mm. It was given what was I mean she looked like she worked at One Eye Jacks, you know? <laughs> yeah. She did. I, I don't know what it was yeah. she was meant to be. But why wasn't she wearing a Halloween costume? Yeah. But it has to go to the original. Yes. Um, we have Judy and Maddie, the leads. Uh-huh. Well, I don't know if you class them as leads. I don't know if Angela's a lead. Final Gals. The Final Gals. Final Gals. Um, 1988, played by Kathy Podwell. And in 2009, played by Monica Keener. Uh, in 1988, she is not the most likable character at first. Um, she's very whiny and such, as we've already said. But I think that's why it's so great when she turns that around in the third act because it's not often that happens. No. In a horror film, you know, look, Veronica Cartwright in Alien and uh, Night of the Living Dead. Um, oh, God. Barbara, Barbara. You know, original Night of the Living Dead. Films, yeah, Gone Girl. Um, not the remake where she's a queen. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you look at those and they're, they're very much whipped throughout the entire film and that's it. You know, they haven't got a backbone. But then... In this, when she turns it around, okay, it actually makes a difference, and I actually really like that. Yeah, because she is a bit of a bitch at the beginning. She doesn't like Angela because Angela's shy and alternative. She comes across very prissy. She comes across um, a bit whiny. And she's like, oh, God, I'm not going to like her. And then, yeah, like Gary said, she turned it around by the end. You're like, oh, come on, Adam Ripley. Yeah. Went from Veronica Cartwright to Sigourney Weaver. Yes, good on you, gal. <laughs> uh, Monica Keener, again, it just felt too forced. It felt like they wrote this and they're like, okay, everyone's going to be at home. Like, yes, Hunty Slay. Um, no, we weren't. We were like, please shut up. Like, it's just, it just, it, I don't know how to describe it. It's just so forced. 
it was like they watched Freddy vs. Jason. Yeah. And they saw the Welcome to My World bitch yeah. scene. It was like, okay, we want that. Yeah. But we want it ten times throughout yeah. the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a real shame because she's really likeable. I actually really yeah. like her in, in what I've seen her in, uh, Monica Kina. But it, it's just... It's not the one. The role isn't the one. And the whole... What the fuck are you wearing to this Halloween... Yeah. Party. I just... From the get-go, I was like, nah, you're a bit annoying, actually. Yeah. Um. So, I think, with, with that being said, we go to the original. Yes. Was going to compare some of the friends, but honestly, there is no point. No. Absolutely no point. It goes to the original. There we go. Yes. Um, Suzanne. <laughs> uh, I will compare Suzanne, though. Because yeah. Because in 1988, Suzanne is played by Lena Quigley. And in 2009, by Bobby Sue Luther. And honestly, you ask me anything about Suzanne in the remake, I, I can't tell you a thing. Because she's very much one of those friends in the remake, mm-hmm. where she's... Interchangeable with the other one. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, all she, she does the lipstick thing, great. Yeah. But that was done way better many years before by Linnea Quigley, who gives a career best performance in her role. Linnea Quigley in Night of the Demons. Perfection. Yeah. And I will, I will say absolute perfection. Mm-hmm. She plays the role so well. She knows exactly how she needs to get the lines out. For the best comedy, um, Linnea Quigley is a fantastic comedian, mm-hmm. and it's yeah, top notch, top notch entertainment. It is, yeah, I, no contest. It's, it's no contest, and that's no. And the problem is with the remake, and it's no slight towards the actresses, because ultimately they are really only as good as the material, yeah. and it's a real shame that they did the whole cat thing. Which made the two actresses completely interchangeable. And, and they put I them no the, idea. For some reason, who? they were put at the forefront of the Blu ray cover as well. It was like, okay. I mean, sexy. Yeah. Everything about like You have Shannon Elizabeth sexy. right there. Exactly. But yeah, let's get to the final awards. Yes. So we have Biggest Queen. And by the way, I have uh, ties for all of these. No way. Yeah. Spoiler, none of them are for the remake. Um, biggest Queen, I have a tie between Angela and Suzanne in the original. I went with Suzanne. I it did was, go with Suzanne, but it I was very yeah. close. Very close. Biggest Gasp, I have the original lipstick into the tit and the original dance. I went with the original lipstick. Because when, when I first saw that dance, I think I may have actually gasped. I was the- like, this is unbelievable. This is just <laughs> slay. I'm definitely gay. Um, best Dialogue. Another tie. I have. Do you guys have sour boils? Too bad. I bet you don't get too many blowjobs. <laughs> and from the same character. Hey, how about an orgy? I'm sure if we try, we can get Jay Hard again. Um, I went with sour balls. <laughs> and for the first time, I believe on this podcast since we started doing awards, my that's camp is my exact same as my biggest gasp. Oh, Angela's dance, that dance and Suzanne and the lipstick. Yes. It's it was so shocking, it became camp. Yeah, I don't. I, oh, it was so camp, it became shocking. But I went with Angela's dance yeah. in front of the fireplace. Yeah. 
Um, ratings for both. I give the original nine sun-dried poodle turds out of ten. I gave the original eight festering fuckwads out of ten. Uh, I give the remake three quick, definitely not gay kisses with another man out of ten. <laughs> I gave it three Halloween cat costumes out of ten. I should have said sexy Halloween cat yes. costumes. Uh, we had to find the original. Uh, if you are in America, you're fortunate enough to have it on 4K from Screen Factory. But if you're in the UK, where we usually give our advice for where to find films, you can find it on Shudder and Video On Demand. And if you want to see the remake, it's on Blu-ray and Video On Demand. Um, and if you enjoy the original, I recommend watching the solid sequel, Night of the Demons 2. Yes. I fully agree. Uh, I think if you enjoyed the original, you would enjoy Chopping Mall. You would. And if you enjoyed the remake, then do yourself a favour and watch a better film. Go watch Evil Dead 2013. Yeah. Uh, if you enjoyed the remake, then you deserve to watch Hellraiser Hellworlds. Very much the same time. <laughs> um, yeah. And with that being said, the winner is, of course, uh, with zero votes for anything and zero yes. points for anything for the remake... The original is the winner. When was the last time that happened? Um, probably sooner than we <laughs> may have been <laughs> in this may podcast. Have been. Um, with that being said, that's this month's original verse remake done. So let's get on to our best and worst new releases of the month with a twist. So you wanted a twist, eh? We haven't watched any good new releases this month. <laughs> no, we haven't. <laughs> but we've been very busy, so we haven't watched. Totally killer. We haven't watched a new VHS. So there's a few things, you know, we haven't watched Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, I'm sure any of those three probably would have got it if we did. Um, but we didn't. So I'm going to give you a best of the month from 1931. It is Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Um, a film that absolutely just, I, I loved it so much. It is uh, a tale as old as time. Literally, it's, you know, so many adaptations of Dr. Jekyll and Hyde. Um, but this one in particular, it's just, it does it perfectly. And it's so intense for a film released in 1931. Uh, and speaking of new releases and Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, Dr. Jekyll starring uh, Eddie uh, at the time of filming, Susie Izzard now, uh, is out in cinema. So go and watch that because that is also a solid uh, adaptation of the story. Yeah, we uh, recommended that during our Fright Fest we did. episode, didn't we? We did indeed. So yes, very, very much. What's agree. your best of the month? My best of the month, uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, fantastic. Yeah. So creepy. Consider it's the best part of 100 years old. Uh-huh. Still incredibly creepy. Mm-hmm. Um, I did uh, go with Dracula from 1958. That's very close to me. Terence Fisher, yeah. Christopher Lee film. I loved it. I yeah. was so entertained. That's, yeah, that's probably my favourite adaptation yeah. of Dracula because it takes the novel and it, like, it very, in a lot of ways, turns on its head. Um, and yeah, it's fantastic. Really, really good. Um, worst of the month, I it is a new release. It and is. I'm sure we've both got the same. You've been waiting for this one since we referenced it a few episodes back. If you're a regular listener. It is the Exorcist Believer. Ugh. You all knew it was coming. Ugh. But did you know it was coming? Because as you know, from the last few years, we enjoyed David Gordon Green's Halloween films. They split people. 
They I, split I, people. I we were we were on the better side. We were on the better side until we talked ourselves into not liking Halloween Ends during the episode. But that doesn't matter. Because we still, you know, I'd still go on record say I like the film. Love the 2018 one. And I love Halloween Kills. It's just a lot of fun. Jamie Lee Curtis was a producer on those three films. And I think that's why they were so good. Because David Gordon Green has fucking butchered The Exorcist with this. I mean, I'm not one of those guys. I, I, I say he's butchered. I wouldn't tell you he's ruined the original because he hasn't. The original still exists. Go watch that instead. But he has insulted the original and everything the original did because this is very much um, akin to Night of the Demons 2009 in that it's just a generic fucking horror film. But with Ellen Burstyn thrown in for 10 minutes so they can market it as an Exorcist sequel. Yeah, at the end of the day, we, we all make choices. And David Gordon Green, whoever was involved, who made the choices... They made some real bad choices. Yeah. In in my opinion. You've brought Ellen Burstyn back. And you don't use her properly. You have the original Exorcist right there. Yeah. I, I don't care if you steal a few bits. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they did. I didn't... Or they didn't steal the right bits. No. It felt completely... Wasted, like real wasted potential. I don't. Yeah. I'm trying not to spoil it for anyone who hasn't watched it, which can be quite difficult. But I, I just thought it was very meh. Yeah. For most part, and then when it wasn't meh, it was like what? Yeah. Why? Mm-hmm. Um. Like Gary was saying, with Jamie Lee Curtis coming back for the 2018 Halloween. I feel like it had very similar energy. Yeah. Where a actress was returning to a role. Yeah. The marketing was all based on that. And it was a big deal. And that's what made the film a big deal. Yeah. And it's very telling that Jamie Lee Curtis, I believe, and I've got no evidence to back this up, um, but I believe that Jamie Lee Curtis would obviously, as a producer, not put her name to anything that she didn't completely agree with, mm-hmm. which is why we got some fantastic representation there. Yeah. And why Laurie Strode as a character was so good in the 2018 yeah. Halloween. And I think Ellen Burstyn, all due respect, wanted the money so that she could give it to, and it's fantastic that she did. She got mm-hmm. her four million dollars. She gave it to... It was in acting school, was it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, college. Fantastic. Yeah. But she didn't care about what she was asked to do for no. that $4 million. It, acting-wise. Mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not suggesting anything else she did for $4 million. <laughs> but acting-wise. Yeah. Whatever the film was, she was like, yeah, I'll do it. Just give mm-hmm. me the money. Yeah. And I can help people with it. Which I love for her. Mm-hmm. I don't love for me because no. I had to sit there and watch the results of that. Yeah. Yeah. Acting in this film is fucking lifeless uh, all around. I mean, the girls are fine, whatever. Um, and, the, the you know, I, I stand by something I've said many times, and that's films being scary is subjective. Mm. I don't believe in scary and i know we just did a comparison on what's scarier yeah. <laughs> films, but 
I don't believe in scary as a criticism. I don't. It's no. stupid. It's like comedy. You know, one person can go and watch, you know, something like American Pie and like that's the biggest piece of shit I've ever seen. The person can watch it and say, that's hilarious. You're both correct. Yeah. You're both correct. You know, what people find funny is different to each person and that's what makes film criticism so exciting. Same goes for scary. You know, but I will sit here and tell you right now, I still believe the original Exorcist is the scariest film ever created. Um, and I doubled down on that after reading the book and the way they brought those scares to the screen and how well executed it was. Just, I wish I read it before our podcast episode. Let's put it that mm. way, because I'd have had a lot more to say. We might have to do revisiting one day. Um, Exorcist Believer, does, for me, doesn't come close to scary. Because it is so modern in its approach to possession and exorcism that it just feels like we've already seen all of this what's happened in the Pope's Exorcist earlier this year, which, mm. by the way, did a much better job than the Exorcist Believer, which I can't believe I'm saying. Um, but the original was just out of nowhere, though. And yeah. that's why it's so scary. There's nothing yeah. like that before it. But this is just a generic possession film. Yeah. You know, it's just fucking bullshit. And I feel like the amount of time we just spent talking about it, we might have to do an episode on it eventually. Um, <laughs> Good Lord. But on to the honourable mentions before we talk about this for another hour. Yes. Um, the Edge of the World. Yes. And I know where I'm going to uh, Michael Powell's films, the second with uh, Pressburger. And yeah, both fantastic. Fucking weird. I mean, I wasn't expecting their films to be so weird, but here we are. Um. Yeah. Definitely eccentric. Yeah. Both of those films. We, Specifically, Edge of the World. Yes. Yeah. We much weirder than I thought it was going to be, but very entertaining. Yeah. Fantastic. Um. There is currently a season on, at um our local sort of art house cinema home, um. It's called Home. It's not our home, in Manchester, and they're currently having a season of Howl and Pressburger. Yeah. Films, and I'm. Pretty damn sure that come this time next month, you'll be hearing about all the other films that we yeah, watched. I'm if, sure if, you will. if these two are anything to go by, they will definitely make our best of the month. Uh, Dreadnought, fun martial arts comedy that's somehow in class as a horror film, but I, I thought it was great. Yeah, yeah, very wacky and weird and entertaining. Yes. First, the uh, Pat Chan Wook film. Uh, which is one of the best vampire films I've seen. It's so unlike any other vampire film out there. Yeah, yeah. Loved it. I loved the angle it came from. I loved the visuals. I loved the acting. Yeah, really two thumbs up from me. Um, Dracula 1958. Again, your best of the month. Honourable mention for me. Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. That was fun. Something I've heard, been told to watch many times. And yeah, I thought it was fun. Yeah, it was. I, I, I... The humour hasn't aged the best, yeah. but yeah, fun time. Uh, Phantom of the Opera, 1925, was amazing. Yeah, love that. Love, love, loved it. And I, I think sometimes with maybe silent films, the lengthier ones, mm -hmm. I might struggle to concentrate on a little bit after a day's work, yeah. you know, but this one kept me entertained. Uh, Shin Godzilla, which we for a while now and haven't watched and oh my god it was amazing my second favourite Godzilla film surprised me 
uh, but pleasantly. Yeah. And uh, finally from me, but I'm sure you'll have an additional one that I've already seen before. Um, for me, uh, my final honourable mention is King Kong 1933. Because I, I film I was quite worried about uh, Agent Badley. Actually, you know, mostly, apart from the weird misogyny, uh, actually, I thought it was done really well and I loved it. Yeah, surprisingly, groundbreaking. Aged groundbreaking, very, groundbreaking. Looked fantastic for that time to create a film like that. Just real top notch. Very, very good. Yeah, a film that I saw for the first time this month. Uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yeah. Um, loved it. Apart from Keanu Reeves's <laughs> accent, and I'm sorry, I know it's cliche to come for his accent. In the film and his acting in general, let's be fair. Yeah. Um, but it's true. I'm sorry, it's true. Yeah. The rest of it was sublime. Yeah. Apart from that, really off-putting, but the rest of it looked and sounded fantastic. Um. Also. Oh, have I forgot? You've done September. it again because technically our best new film of the month mm-hmm. is Saw Ten. That it is. Technically. That it is. Yeah. Technically. Yeah. Um, we really enjoyed it. We uh, Fantastic. My favourite Saw sequel. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. Best one since the original. Yeah. Um, Amanda's t- Wig, 10 out of 10. Amanda's Wig. Yeah, yeah, Amanda's Wig was um, strange. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To say the least. <laughs> because, obviously, it's set at a time period... But I don't think her hair looked like that mm-hmm. in the film before or, well, the film after. Well, it's not a spoiler to say it's no, set between no, no, it's one not, and two, it's not, is it's it? Not a spoiler. So in two, her hair is wild. It's wild in the it's aisles. It's wild in the aisles. <laughs> but in ten, which is set just before, it's really fucking wild she in looks the like, She looks like she's in Quadrophenia. She looks like a mod. It's, it's something. The wig something. is wigging. Um, also, another older film that we watched this month as well. September. September. <laughs> it's September. Well, it's... We recorded early because we were on holiday. We recorded so... early. So there's a few films at the end of September yeah. that, unfortunately, Gary has missed. Because Nightwatch, yes. starring one of my absolute icons, mm-hmm. Elizabeth Taylor, yeah. a camp... British, supernatural, not supernatural, weird Mm -hmm. horror film was sublime entertainment. Yeah. Yeah. And Strange Way of Life, the Pedro Almodovar short film. Of course, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. that was amazing. Yeah. And with that being said, yes, please ignore (laughs) everything we said. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is an honourable mention. (laughs) And Saw 10 is our best of the month. I'm sorry to do that to you, Gary. Well, thank you for the reminder. We should should have conversations before the podcast. I know. You'd think we didn't live together. I know, yeah. We should stop stop sitting in silence. (laughs) Uh, What are your favourites and least favourites of the month? We're Horror Court Trash over on Facebook, Instagram and TikTok. And Horror Court Trash on Twitter. I'm done at Gaz92 on Letterboxd, Gazmo205 on Instagram, and GazCruz92 on Twitter. I'm Chris Barker823 on Letterboxd and Instagram. And we are now into our main deadline of Gasp Horror Festival. Well, we will be as of the 1st of November, but it depends when you're listening to this. We, we should, we're probably into it now. Um, the early bird deadline 
was the films we received in that time were just amazing. Uh, and in case you don't know what I'm talking about, Gaspar Festival is our film festival dedicated entirely to minority filmmakers, and submissions are still open for the main deadline. And if you want to know how to submit, go to Gaspar Fest across all social media. Give us a rate review, subscribe on iTunes, like and follow on everything else. And uh, next month is Nasty November again. And this time, we're not just sticking to the prosecuted films. We're going all across the board, which means we have a bit more choice for original versus remake. With that being said, next month's original remake, original versus remake will be the masterpiece that is The Thing. And The Thing from Another World. Uh, yeah, we're pulling out the big guns for this one. We are. That's going to be a good... Toot my own horn. That's going to be a good episode. Howard Hawks <laughs> versus John Carpenter. Wow, yeah, that's true, yeah. yeah. Howard Hawks versus Howard Hawks' biggest fan. And uh, But you don't have to wait until then to hear our lovely voices. We'll be back on Tuesday, concluding five weeks at Freddy's with... The masterpiece that is Wes Craven's New Nightmare. We're ending five weeks at Freddy's on a high. Yes. More than what we say uh, with what we've heard about Five Nights at Freddy's. Mm. We'll be back same time, same place on Tuesday. <laughs> See ya.